You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Have you ever wondered how inbred the Habsburgs really were? What women in the past used for birth control? Or what Queen Victoria's nine children got up to? On the History Tea Time podcast, I profile remarkable queens and LGBTQ plus royals, explore royal family trees, and delve into women's medical history and other fascinating topics. Join me every Tuesday for History Tea Time, wherever fine podcasts are enjoyed. Hello everyone, Takuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well... I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. Welcome, 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 friend. I'm TK, your tour guide to the past, and you are listening to For the Love of History, the podcast where we talk about world history, women's history, and weird history. How are you? Glad you're here today, friend. Have you had a good week? Uh, if it hasn't been a good week, I hope this episode can make it a better week because you deserve to have a good week. Oh, and happy third week of Women's History Month. We are continuing our theme for the month by talking about a super rad lady, a tattoo lady. And I love, I love tattoos. I love them so much. Even before my brother became a tattoo artist, I have loved the idea of people decorating their skin. I love to decorate. You should see my apartment. It's covered. (laughs) And when my brain finally made the connection between tattoos and history, my mind was blown. I had found my happy history place. Tattoos are kind of like music in that nearly every culture on earth now has or has had tattoos in their history. And so far, we've covered Egyptian tattoos, Scythian tattoos, Maori tattoos, Yakuza tattoos, native Japanese Ainu tattoos, and the story of the iconic and kind of terrible Sailor Jerry. And today, my delicious little donut, we are traveling back to the Victorian age, aka the Bizarro era, to talk about the first recorded woman tattoo artist in America. So grab a beverage, settle into your drive or your dishes, and let's get to it. Ooh, tattoos. Tattoos. People all over the world have very strong feelings about tattoos. And they have come in and out of fashion more times than low-rise jeans, over-plucked eyebrows, and shoulder pads. 
In one time period, they'll be celebrated as exotic and fun, and then they'll be demonized and only worn by criminals. In some cultures, they are a rite of passage, the markings of momentous occasions, protection amulets from the gods literally used to mark criminals or quiet symbols of protest and bodily autonomy. It is impossible to put all tattoo history in any one category. And that's what makes it so fun to talk about. Our little slice of tattoo history today takes place in the U.S. during the 18 and 1900s, the Victorian era. So, you know, it's gonna get a little weird. At the beginning of the Victorian era, tattoos were the new hot trend for the upper class. And you're never going to guess who started this trend. I'll give you a second. Okay, did you guess? Did you guess it was the royals? Because it, it totally came from British royals. They were getting tatted up. Queen Victoria's grandson, Albert Victor, had a tattoo of a stork. And his brother George, who would later become the king, had a tattoo of a dragon that he got while he was in Japan. And from then on, it was a craze among the elites. Even Winston Churchill's mom had a tattoo. It was a snake eating itself. I told you things are going to get weird. Winston Churchill's mom has a tattoo. Had. She's, she's dead. Spoiler alert. Um, <laughs> a tattoo of a snake on her. It's wild. Okay? And now I know. I know what you're thinking, TK. Why? Was it only the aristocratic people getting tattoos? Great question, friend. Tattoos were a sign of having that sweet, sweet moolah. Tattoo artists were few and far between and therefore very expensive. A lot of the richies had to go to other countries as well to get them or pay lots of money for exclusive tattoo artists that were traveling to the UK and other European countries. But... In the later part of the 1800s, tattooing became more widespread, and more people were able to get them at an affordable price. In 1897, the New York World newspaper guessed that about 75% of American society women had tattoos, and it just trickled down from there. And in 1891, when the tattooer Samuel O'Reilly invented the electric tattoo machine, it really made tattoos accessible to people. And that's when the richies, the rich folks, really turned up their noses and tattoos started to become taboo again. Because if things aren't exclusive, the rich don't want it. Our story today begins... During this time of transition, as the rich were beginning to condemn tattoos while they grew in popularity among the masses. Sailors, factory workers, circus people, and regular daylor citizens were the new keepers of skin art. And men were the needle wielders who distributed these scandalous pieces. That was until a boy met a girl at the fair. 
Maud Stevens was born in Emporia, Kansas, which is just two hours away from where I was born in Salina, Kansas, which is so exciting for me because no one is ever from Kansas, like other than Dorothy and Toto, which is a joke that I heard throughout my entire life, but I digress. So she was born in Emporia, Kansas on February 12th, 1877 to David Van Buren Stevens, and that's a long name, and Sarah Jane McGee. We have no idea how she grew up or what her life was like as a child, but somehow she ended up performing as an aerialist and a contortionist in various traveling circuses. And in 1907, she found herself performing at the St. Louis World's Fair, where she had a meet-cute that would change the course of history. While she was performing her what I assume was super badass and beautiful tricks, she caught the eye of one Gus Wagner, one of the last stick-and-poke tattoo artists in the U.S., He was known as Gus the Tattooed Globetrotter, and he said that he had the history of the world tattooed on his body. And the speech that he would give to his crowds was, I've got a history of my life on my breast, a history of America on my back, a romance with the sea on each arm, the history of Japan on one leg, and the history of China on the other. (laughs) Which is these, like, super random choices. <laughs> and which leg did he choose? Was Japan on the left or the right leg? Anyways, these are the things I think about. <laughs> but I'm not mad about it because I love Japanese history. By the time he met Maud, he had over 300 tattoos all over his body. Which makes sense because he had, like, five different histories all over himself. <laughs> He claimed that he was the most artistically marked-up man in America. And Gus Gus apparently had it bad for Maude, but she was like, eh, I'm more interested in your tattoos, dude. And what comes next has two versions. Some say that Gus offered to teach Maude how to tattoo if she went on a date with him, and others say that Maude refused to go on a date with him unless Gus taught her how to tattoo. I'd like to think that it was the latter because Maude is a certified baddie, but regardless of how it went down, Gus taught Maude how to tattoo and also began tattooing her. And after this little meet-cute, they would go and get married just a few months later. Soon, Maude had colorful birds, flowers, monkeys, dragons, butterflies, pinups, and patriotic tattoos all over her body. And if you've spent any amount of time on Pinterest, I am one bajillion gazillion percent sure that you have seen her iconic picture. Her hair is in a messy bun, not bun. (laughs) A messy, fashionable pompadour with a rose hairpiece. Her arms are crossed in front of her to show as many of her tattoos as possible. And her eyebrows are arched in this expression that says, fuck around and find out. And she is both feminine and fierce and badass and beautiful all at once. I get goosebumps when I see her picture. It's one of the few pictures that we have of her and her gorgeous tattoos. 
and I will put I will put it up on Instagram. You'll see it, I promise. After they got married, Gus Gus and Maude began performing in vaudeville shows, penny arcades, Wild West shows, and traveling circuses. Even though the art of tattooing was being vilified by the elites, heavy on the air quotes, elites of society, regular degular folks were just eating up those sweet, sweet, taboo tattoo performances. Maude and Gus often earned as much as $200 a week, which is like $2,000 in today's American monies, just for showing their tattoos in public. People loved it. People friggin' loved it. You see, the thing is, is when you, when you make something a no-no, when you make it naughty and scandalous, it makes people want it more, want to see it more because it's dangerous and titillizing, <laughs> which also is such a weird word. And society people really did not want this to happen. They were making an effort to vilify and put down the art of tattooing. They were so salty. One article at the time said that tattoos were suitable for an illiterate seaman, but hardly for an aristocrat. Um, I don't know who spit in your cereal this morning, but you need to take it down a notch, you Rudy McRude pants. But despite these salty, boring, aristocratic opinions, Maude and Gus had an incredibly successful career and a cute-ass little family. They showed their tattoos and gave tattoos to fellow performers and their audience members. They often tattooed over 2,000 people in a matter of just a few months, making just as much money as a banker would. Their daughter, Lotiva, or Loteva, it's L-O-T-T-E-V-A, and I, there, were, there were both pronunciations that I found online, so I'm really, really sorry. Loteva? Loteva. I think it's Loteva. So Loteva recalled in several interviews how successful her parents were because they were some of the last poke and stick tattoo artists in America. And they passed that tradition down onto their daughter. And she also became a successful tattoo artist, but had no tattoos of her own, which was, was and still is really crazy to think about. Her mother, Maude, refused to let Gus tattoo her, and after her dad, Gus, passed away in a very untimely and unexpected way from getting struck by lightning, she decided to never get a tattoo if she couldn't get one by her dad. American traditional tattoos can seem frivolous and inconsequential. They have no inherent spiritual connection like Samoan or Egyptian tattoos or other indigenous tattoos. They don't have a thousand-year-old history like Viking tattoos or Scythian tattoos. And on the outside, they can look like just another fashion trend. How deep can butterflies, mom hearts, and flowers be? But there is a deeper meaning and storyline to the innumerable tattoos that were done in the 18 and 1900s. This was a time when women were barely even considered people, when they didn't have the right to vote or own property or 
make decisions about their own bodies, literally nothing. They could control almost nothing in their lives. These little fanciful adornments represented the slightest bit of bodily autonomy. They offered a sliver of control in a world that didn't want women to be in charge of anything, let alone themselves, especially themselves. As a fully tattooed woman out in the world, making money for herself and her family, Maud showed that she could take control of her life and her body and do whatever she wanted with it. And I just, as a side note, I want you to know that she met Gus when she was 30. 30 is not old by any means. I am 30, okay? But there is this idea that women have an expiration date, and that expiration date is often in their 30s. But she started her whole new, brand new life. She changed history when she was in her 30s. So please, please, please remember that you are never too old to change your life or do something new that you want to try, like Maud did with her tattoos. But I I digress. So these tattoos became a show of defiance in the face of a desperate attempt to keep women in line. Even though they were little butterflies or tiny dragons or a snake eating itself. They were silent forms of protest. Not much else is known about Maud. She continued to tattoo well into the last years of her life, but kind of faded out of that mainstream scene. She passed away peacefully in her daughter's home on January 30th, 1961. But her legacy and impact on the tattoo world and history will never be forgotten. Well, my little donut, we have come to our final thought, which which is unlike any that we've had before. Uh, So when I was researching for this episode, I found a book called Bodies of, of, nope, Bodies of Subversion, A Secret History of Women and Tattoos, which led me down a rabbit hole to find out if the author wrote any other women's history tattoo books because they are extremely rare. And I found out that she does, in fact, have another book about a woman and her famous tattoos. And I was like, wow, I would love to talk to this lady. And then I went to her website and I thought, shit. Her, her email's right here. Sh- should I email her? Just like send her like a little email and be like, hey, I love your book. You, you want to come on my podcast? But then I thought, TK, okay, don't be crazy. Don't be weird. Okay? That's not what people do. And then other TK was like, um, people totally do that. You You should do that. So long story short, I emailed the author and she agreed to be a guest. <laughs> Isn't the world a cool place? I sure do love the internet. (laughs) 
Well, dear one, thank you so much for joining me today. I I just love doing tattoo history stuff. It makes me so happy. So when, when we can do women's history and tattoo history all at once, ugh, ugh, ugh. Chef's kiss. I love it. And now I want to get a new tattoo. (laughs) So if you enjoyed this episode today, please consider sharing it with your friend, your other history BFF, your barista, leaving a rating or a review because that really helps the algorithm gods know to send other history lovers or potential history lovers to For the Love of History podcast. You can leave ratings. On Spotify now, which is cool. Just throwing that out there. (laughs) And if you want to get your hands on some super cute For the Love of History merch, you can head to the link in the show notes. You can also support For the Love of History by joining Patreon. There are a lot of cool things that will be happening from April onward. So head over there for more history BFF goodness. But once again, no pressure. It's totally fine. I'm just happy that you're here. So thank you for spending time with me. I'm excited to travel the world with you one last time this month for Women's History Month. (laughs) Okay. And before we go, do something kind for yourself. Give yourself a hug. Drink your water. Gosh darn it. Right now, do it. Okay, thank you. And I will see you next week when we talk about... A royal spy. Okay, love you. Bye. Why is there a metronome right now? Okay. love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring well look no further and join me katie charlwood your friend the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books as i delve into unsolved historical mysteries murders by gaslight and of course women who have been misrepresented through all time on who did what now the history podcast that's not your history class listen wherever you get your podcasts